you're live. Good evening, and how are you? Today is our fourth episode, and welcome to 62 Who Knew? And uh, today is our first episode of a call-in show here on WeBeamTV.com. So let me get in the habit of saying the phone number as much as possible so we all have our phone numbers to call in. It is 813-982-4049. And before we get to our first guest, as usual, I just want to take a couple of minutes to explain the synopsis of what 62 Who Knew is and why we're doing this television show. Well, the truth of the matter is, this is a situation or at least a group of facts that affect every family on every spectrum of the income bracket, no matter what. And that is the fact that longer lifespans, medical breakthroughs, scientific technologies, we are all living so much longer than even all the experts predicted just two or three decades ago. And although longer lifespans is an incredible blessing for all of us, it also is a double-edged sword. And that double-edged sword is, truthfully, how many people can get to the age of 62, which is when we all start thinking about retiring. I think that number is going higher and higher. But for most cases, it's 62. Should I take Social Security? Should I defer it to a later age? Is my will correct? Do I need a will? Do I need a trust? I can't believe I have such a little amount of money in the bank. How am I going to live to 85 or 90 in today's world with quality of life? 62 Who Knew is about those problems, and if not problems, at least plateaus or obstacles that are facing about 99% of America as they approach retirement, as the baby boom has come of age, and America really comes of age. So that's the premise of 62 Who Knew. Every week we're going to have a, an expert, a national expert in a certain field that deals with America coming of age, with you coming of age and having to prepare what, what we hope is the best, maybe the last, but the best few decades of your life. So that is 62 Who Knew. This is our first call-in show. Again, our phone number is 813-982-4049. And now I would like to introduce our first guest ever under our new format, which is our call-in format, Mr. Joe Pippen. I want to welcome him. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Thank you for, for having me. It's, it's great. It's great to have someone like yourself on our first call-in show. Joe has an, a, a radio show on Saturday mornings. It is the longest-running attorney radio show either in the southeast United States or quite possibly the country, all fooling around aside, quite possibly the country. 34 years Mr. Pippen has been given legal advice uh, on the radio on Saturday mornings. His law firm has expanded to how many partners? We have uh, 25 employees and seven attorneys and 20 office locations. Right. And, and to actually start out, and I again, with the premise of giving free legal advice, you know, I, I don't think there's a person listening or a person anywhere that one day hasn't said to themselves in their life, or maybe many times, God, I wish I could call an attorney, but I just can't right. afford it. So what I didn't do? really start out that way, though. Oh, how did you start? Well, I started out writing uh, newspaper articles with, uh, with questions, and I invited the readers to send in a question, and then I would write each week about their question. And then after I had about 50 columns written, I turned it into a book. And then uh, I took books to the radio station one time, and then they wanted to interview me, and things just grew from there, actually. That's incredible. What an incredible story. Yeah. And still helping people. I was, uh, I was very uh, pleased that he invited me to be a guest uh, two Saturdays ago, 
and uh, to watch you answer those calls and the rate they call in and some of the topics that yeah. they call in on that are not quite about elder law. And, uh, well, most of them are educational. But there are a few entertaining calls, as <laughs> yeah. you saw. Yeah, it was a good thing that was radio because right. I was having a hard time uh, keeping a straight face. Hopefully, we'll get nothing but serious questions today. But tell us a little bit also about your expertise, elder law, estate. What kind of questions are we looking for today? Well, I answer questions about uh, any area of law, but tonight we're talking about estate planning. So we talk. Uh, we always like to tell people there are three options in estate planning. They can do nothing, which is a big choice because people like to put this off and mm -hmm. not deal with death, or if they think they're going to live for a long, long time and not need it anytime soon, or do a will or have a or trust. Mm -hmm. So we're glad to take questions on if you have a will. Most, you know, my most often asked question is my will from another state valid in Florida. Since that makes sense. So if they have a question about that, if they're concerned about that, if they're concerned about whether a, a trust would be better, mm -hmm. uh, if they want to ask about avoiding probate, avoiding guardianship, uh, making it quick, easy, fast, efficient for their family. Mm -hmm. Most people think uh, not having a, a durable power of attorney is why have one of those? Mm -hmm. Well, if I asked the question, how many people in the audience watching want to be declared incompetent one day, nobody would raise their hand, but you've got to do something to avoid that. Right. If you would, just for our, for my sake as well, although as a, in my other life as a mortgage person, I deal with durable power of attorneys, but if you said, Michael, give me a legal definition of what it is, I wouldn't be able to do that. Would you tell our audience what is a durable power? Because there are different powers of attorneys, aren't there? A durable in Florida means that it's valid even if you become incapacitated, whereas a general power of attorney would not be valid if you became incapacitated. The reason you would give someone a power of attorney is so you would never be declared incompetent because they have the power to do everything that you could do. If it's a, if it's a broad, durable power of attorney, the ones I do now, like 14 pages, have 106 different powers. And so anything that you could do but you can't do now because of stroke or incapacity or illness and you can't function yourself, you need to have someone have a power of attorney that can do that for you so you wouldn't be declared incompetent. Well, really and truly, in today's world, as longer lifespans become so prevalent, it would be prudent really for everyone to have one of those in their 50s maybe? I mean, because you know, it's not like strokes and heart attacks have a, you know, a goal, like I'm going to have it on my 63rd birthday. Um, yeah. Why wouldn't but, anybody know, want that for protection? Yeah, I have, uh, I, you know, you could take a trip overseas. You could be in college and have a Rhodes scholarship for the summer or something. Right. Uh, and somebody needs to be able to handle things here for you. No, there's no doubt about yeah. it. So it could be any age, really. And youngsters, you see young youngsters have uh, health issues and uh, become incapacitated, have accidents. Mm -hmm. And what about, again, in my, in my other life when I'm not an uh, international TV host, um, in my mortgage world, which is my other world, my real world, not that this isn't a real world, we have a lot of times a power of attorney for an older client that mm -hmm. may be mentally incapacitated and our attorneys or our title company or our lender says, sorry, mm -hmm. that's not the right mm -hmm. you know, power of attorney, Michael. And then it's kind of a little too late if in fact uh, our client is incapacitated, we're not gonna have them go to a closing and, and put an X. Is that along the durable or is that a specific power of attorney for real well, estate? You can have a power of attorney that deals with one issue. Like I had a client today that wanted to give a daughter a power of attorney to handle a real estate closing in Georgia. Mm -hmm. the, uh, you can have a very broad power of attorney that covers uh, just about everything. Mm -hmm. So it, it varies. All right. And again, our phone number is 813-982-4049. I'm going to uh, ask another question since nobody's called yet. 
even though I asked you all to call way before we came on, we're all going to have a talk later. Um, but that is a logical question. I would think it's the most popular. People move here to retire. We're the retirement capital of the world here in Florida. Is there will and or trust from another state valid here? Is this national or state? Well, I always like to say this. Uh, a will drawn properly in another state would most likely be accepted here in Florida. Mm -hmm. However, it really should be reviewed because the very first sentence in the will says that you're a resident of another state. So you spend some time there and you could be deemed a resident there and they could mm -hmm. tax you accordingly. Florida doesn't have a state income tax or a state, uh, a state tax. Mm -hmm. The will may or may not be witnessed or notarized correctly for Florida law. In Florida, if it's witnessed correctly, uh, it's called self-proving. So you never have to find or prove the witnesses. Really? In other states that don't have this special, it has to be, the language has to be, you have to nail the language to make this happen. Joel Tanner. So if, uh, if they don't have that language and then the will here before it be accepted in the probate court has to, you have to get a commissioner in the other state to sign an affidavit to, that they actually uh, signed the will as mm -hmm. a witness in front of a commissioner of a... a so there's another. a right way and a wrong way, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so you can uh, cause all kinds of extra time and effort and cost. All right, well, we have our first call. Ms. Uh, Joel, you're on with, uh, with another Joel. Go ahead and ask your question. Keep talking to him. Joel, are you there? Joel, if you're there, ask a question. John, we have a technical difficulty on our I first call. Him. You hear him, we don't hear him. Hello. Hello, Joel. Thank you for calling. Um, ask, uh, do you have a question for Mr. Pippin? Yes. All right, go ahead. I'm here. What's your Can question? You what is your question? He's not hearing us, John. Hello. Can you hear us, Joel? Yes. All right, I what is your you. question? Okay, my question is... Uh, how often should someone update their power of attorney? Oh, good question, because <clears throat> we send out letters to all our clients every three or four years and suggest they update it. The problem is that... I hear you over the uh, computer. But you're not hearing us through this. The, no. uh, the answer to your question, though, is that every three or four years is a good rule of thumb for updating power of attorneys. Financial and okay. medical people tend to make up their own rules, and often uh, after a year or two, sometimes they refuse to accept them. So, by uh, my, my rule is for my clients is we send them a letter every three or four years and get them to redo their power of attorney so it has a current date on it, so it'll be more likely to be accepted. I see. And uh, are there sometimes laws that change that would cause you to update it also? Yes, not too often. Uh, the last big change on power of attorneys in Florida was 2011. So to give you an okay. example, prior to 2011, the power of attorneys I was doing was uh, three or four pages. And after the right. new statute went into effect October 1st of 2011, thereafter, my power of attorneys are 14 pages and cover I a see. lot of okay. other things, and the language is a little bit different. But if you take a power of attorney drafted before 2011, I tell you, most places aren't going to accept it. If you draw right, it, right, I think mine is older than 2011, that. 2011, yeah. there's language in there that they can be held liable if they don't accept it, and by statute, uh, it should be accepted. Okay, I think mine is older than that, so I better update it. All right, great. Well, very good. I'm glad. All we right, could thank help. you for your help. Thank you so much for calling, Joel. Okay.
Hey, I'm going to, while we wait for another call, will versus trust. Mm -hmm. Can I go to break? Oh, we'll go into break. Hi, my name is Mike Banner, and in addition to being the host of the 62 Who Knew television show, I am also the president of Professional Mortgage Alliance, where our passion is helping seniors entering retirement purchase their dream retirement home without the obligation of a monthly principal and interest payment. Please call me at 727-224-3859 or visit my website at professionalmortgagealliance.com. My name is Ann Rogers and I'm a real estate agent and broker in Pinellas County and have been for over 24 years. Ann Rogers Relocation Resources provides a full array of services to help you or your loved one transition gracefully to a new residence or adult living community. Our first consultation is free and with no obligation. Please visit our website or call to talk to me directly. My name is Lisa Marie Kennedy, your real estate expert here in the Sarasota, Lakewood Ranch, Bradenton area. I spent years developing myself, studying the industry so I can serve you and communicate with you the best way possible in your real estate transaction. My phone number is 941-807-2054 or please visit my website at lisamariekennedy.com. Welcome back to 62 Who Knew here on WeBeam TV. Tonight is our first call-in show. Uh, with us is attorney Joe Pippen to answer all of your estate and elder law questions, if you have any. Our phone number, of course, is on the screen, 813-982-4049. And while we're waiting for our second caller, uh, you were just about to answer for me again. How do you make that decision, will versus trust? Well, the advantages of a will are you did something. The, you did something, you appointed a personal representative, and you have a list of uh, beneficiaries. Okay. So that's all good. The negative part of a will is that when you die with a will and die with assets just in your name, they're going to go through probate. Mm -hmm. Probate is the only legal process to get assets out of a deceased person's name. 
So if a person has a home, a bank account, a stock or bond, and died with it just in their name, it's in a deceased person's name, so it has to go through probate. Mm -hmm. By actually choosing a will, you've actually chosen some probate, most likely. Right. And probate is a three to six percent fee or more. It costs uh, three to six percent. It doesn't plan for guardianship and it's a public record. So a living trust, I like to call a fancy will. Mm -hmm. So you, the same information I would ask a client to create a, a trust is the same information I would have asked them to create a will. You, generally, who's going to be in charge and how you want the money distributed with backups in both places. Mm -hmm. The difference is uh, with your trust, your trust, your living trust is living when you die. Mm -hmm. So the assets inside a living trust are not in a deceased person's name. Mm -hmm. So the successor trustee that you name now has the power given to them by the document and the way it was drafted to come in, take over, pay bills, do taxes, and make the distribution of the assets in the trust with no probate, no court, no legal process really that goes on except, uh, so it's, it's very quick and easy, save a lot of money, save a lot of time, and you have a plan for incapacity because they can take over for your benefit if you became incapacitated. Okay, so did you say a three to six percent cost? Yes. All right, so just for example, because again, from my other life, I know that the great majority of people that leave the planet, when they go to leave their children something, there sometimes, in most cases, you know, is not stocks, bonds, annuities. Many times there's a house. So what if somebody leaves their children a, let's just pick a house, not a million dollars, but a $300,000 house, free and clear. They don't, they have a will. Now it goes into probate. Let's go in between three and six, which is four and a half. Mm -hmm. There's a four and a half percent fee on that $300,000 house for doing this. That's $13,500. Mom and dad didn't leave any money to the kids. They mm -hmm. left a piece of real estate, and the kids have a $13,500 bill from the state or well, no, no. Where? The, uh, the, well, there's a, a recommended 3% statutory okay. fee for the attorney. Mm -hmm. there's, a there's a recommended fee for the personal representative, which is also three. Mm -hmm. Attorneys can vary the way they charge, so you can really negotiate with an attorney right. on the fee. Some attorneys would charge a full 3% on the value of the home, and others, because it's homestead, would, could charge less. Right. So it really varies. So I would suggest when somebody considering a will or a trust and they're having a discussion with an attorney, ask the attorney what he would charge for probate. Oh, ask and, up front. Yeah, ask and see what they say. And don't, uh, the, the answer, well, not that much, doesn't really, it's That's not a right. good answer. Uh, so we could tell, we have a, a minimum fee on any, a person could have $30,000 and die. Right. We have a minimum fee of 2500 Right. But we also tell every client, we give every client this poster sheet that I have. It has everybody's options. Mm -hmm. This and, is incredible, by the way. And we, we allow them to make a choice. So mm -hmm. if they choose a living trust and they properly fund it and get their assets in the trust, there's going to be no probate. So this, what you're explaining now is what I sometimes hear or read about when somebody has actually left an asset, but it's not liquid. Mm -hmm. But they have to liquidate the asset to pay the probate fees? Um, often, yes. Yeah, that, so that's what causes that because there's always going So again, the logical question, is there any reason to have a will? Shouldn't everyone have a living trust? Well, every, everyone should at least have a will, but if you want to avoid probate, avoid guardianship, make it quick, easy, fast, and efficient for your family, then uh, you should consider a trust. All right, very cool. You know, Joe Robbie, who owned the Miami Dolphins, they, and when he died, the Miami Dolphins were worth a lot of money. Yeah. And so he had to, they had to sell the football team to uh, pay the, the estate tax. He had a will? 
He had a will. Well, I'm not sure if he had a will or a trust. But oh. the, 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 the point was that there was an estate tax. Right. And so he had, they had to sell that team to pay the estate tax. Now, are there ways um, legally, while you're alive, obviously, ethically, you know, to bring down that estate tax? I mean, I know a lot of financial planners refer to that as the death tax. Yeah. Um, is there ways to cut down on that estate tax before you leave the planet? Well, yeah, now the exemption is $11 million per person. So a married couple can leave $22 million tax-free. Um, I've had four lotto winners in my career, and uh, so there you can create a, a foundation. You can do a charitable trust. You can do limited partnerships. There are multiple ways to reduce the estate tax if you have an estate tax problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get back to this $22 million. That number kind of got to me. You have a $22 million exemption. So the first $22 a million... A married couple, $11 million each. The first $11 million of each of them is not subject to a state right. tax? All right. So that, let's face it, that does take care of, what, 99% yeah, of America? Yeah, big, big percent now. All right. Now, last year it was $5.4 million. So why the huge raise? And in 2009 it was $3.5 million. And 10 or 15 years before that it was 600000 A lot of people remember that number. So why the humongous raises? There that many more millionaires and why did I miss this? Well, there was a gradual bump up in what you could leave tax-free. 2009 it was 3.5, 2010 it was unlimited. George Steinbrenner died with a billion dollar baseball team in 2010, the night before an all-star game. Right. I think this is his anniversary, right? This yeah. Is for, um, no estate tax. 2011 Congress had to do something, so right at the end of 2010 they bumped it up from three and a half to five million. And then it went to 5.2, 5.4, and then, you know, Trump comes on, and he, the, the whole idea was to eliminate. It was to gradually get it up and eliminate the estate tax. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it's $11 million each. Now, a lot of people are going to hear this, and they're going to say, well, gee, I don't have $11 million. I don't need a trust. That's right. That's really bad thinking because you might not have an estate tax, but you're still going to have probate. Right. Probate is an, uh, at least half of that is an attorney fee mm -hmm. to handle the assets in a deceased person's name because the deceased person didn't plan to avoid probate. Exactly. So, all right, but that number just freaks me. Twenty-two million. Yeah. And was that a direct result of that going up? With good old George Steinbrenner? No. Well, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I think Trump wanted to eliminate. That was one of his um, campaign goals: was to eliminate the estate tax altogether. Yeah. What would you think about that as an attorney? Again, as a layman, I would think that's more money going to heirs that is going to go directly out into the economy in forms of taking your family out to dinner, buying new cars, taking vacations. What would well, what's you your know, opinion like on that? Why should a family be taxed twice? Yeah. They get taxed on while they're earning it, and when they die, if they had a certain amount, it's going to be taxed again. And what about farmers? You know, tax on farms. You have to sell the farm to... Yeah, that's... So uh, I think eliminating the estate tax would be a great idea. Really? Yes, so do I. All right. Uh, as we're waiting also for more questions, I'm going to ask you a few more questions because, again, I'm getting to that point. Um, I have some assets, but my largest asset, everybody's going to laugh, is my life insurance. Mm-hmm. Living trust or, or what? Because really and truly, you know, my life insurance already has, you know, has physically listed, you know, my people who I'm leaving it to and how much. So who, how is a person that, you know, has a small amount of liquidity at this particular point? I hope it grows Kyle. rapidly. I'm sorry again? Say that again. It's okay. Kyle's a caller. Kyle. Oh, Kyle. All right, cool. Kyle, uh, are you, can you hear us, Kyle? Yes. Hi, Kyle. Go ahead and ask a question to Jeff. Hey, hey, uh, Mike. Hey, hey, Joe. How you guys doing? We're Good. doing great. 
Good, good. Uh, my name is Kyle. Um, I just got a quick question for you guys. Um, I'm 36 years old, and I was wondering at what point should I think of starting a will or getting a will? Uh, when you're 18. <laughs> so you're a little late. Okay. No, but, uh, you know, I'd have to know a little bit more about you, but anybody with assets, uh, do you have children? Uh, I have two kids. And how old are they? Uh, four and seven. All right, so the, here's the thing. You can't leave money to a minor directly. Okay. You can't be, they can't be a beneficiary of your uh, retirement account. I mean, it's not smart to make them a beneficiary of a retirement account or insurance. Or So if you did a trust, if you did a will, it's going to go through probate. If you did a trust, you can control the money in the trust until they get to a certain age. So, for example, gotcha. you can, instead of them getting the money at 18, you could control it till they were 25 but have the trustee pay for college, medical, education, take care of their needs until they get to a certain age. I've, somebody once told me kids don't have any financial brains so they're at least 25. So you right. want to give them a big lump sum of money or make them a beneficiary of anything. You want to control the money inside of a trust. You don't want to uh, demotivate them to work or finish school or anything like that. So you give them money at a little bit later age. Uh, right. I have people that reward their kids upon college degrees or advanced degrees or uh, certain yeah, levels that's, of that's what we were thinking was uh, to, to do it more when they when they get of age and like keep the keep the trust like uh, kind of a secret yeah well it wouldn't necessarily be a secret but it would be restricted not not a secret but um, just just not you know advertise a whole lot I had a person come in uh, the other not too long ago and they were doing an IRS um, tax agreement where they were back in their taxes and they were going to, uh, it was going to take this, for some reason, it was going to take a while before, uh, if they received their money within the next year or so, then they would, the IRS would just wind up with it. So we simply did a trust that, the, 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 the parent did a trust that delayed the distribution for the child for a couple of years and so by the time they receive it the IRS would no longer be a problem. Uh, sometimes you have children going through divorces and the parent doesn't want to give the money to the children although uh, inheritance is not a marital asset. There are lots of good reasons you can create a trust and create great results for your family. All right, fantastic. Thank you Kyle for calling in. Go to break. Oh, all right. We're going to be taking a break in just a few seconds. We actually have a couple more calls holding, which I'm very happy to say. And I still have more questions about my own right. personal life. Well, we didn't answer your insurance question. I know. We'll we come didn't, back to that. We'll come back to that in just a few seconds. Hi, my name is Mike Banner. And in addition to being the host of the 62 Who Knew television show, I am also the president of Professional Mortgage Alliance, where our passion is helping seniors entering retirement purchase their dream retirement home without the obligation of a monthly principal and interest payment. Please call me at 727-224-3859 or visit my website at professionalmortgagealliance.com. My name is Ann Rogers and I'm a real estate agent and broker in Pinellas County and have been for over 24 years. Ann Rogers Relocation Resources provides a full array of services to help you or your loved one transition gracefully to a new residence or adult living community. Our first consultation is free and with no obligation. Please visit our website or call to talk to me directly.
Hi, my name is Lisa Marie Kennedy, your real estate expert here in the Sarasota Lakewood Ranch Bradenton area. I spent years developing myself, studying the industry so I can serve you and communicate with you the best way possible in your real estate transaction. My phone number is 941-807-2054 or please visit my website at lisamariekennedy.com. Welcome back to 62 Who Knew, our first call-in show with attorney Joe Pippen. Uh, again, our phone number is 813-982-4049. It'll be popping back up on the screen any second, but we do have another caller. Uh, are you there? Hello. Hello. Uh, can I have your first name? Yes, Peter. Peter, do you have a question for Mr. Pippen? Yeah, um, it's really regarding my parents. So um, they are getting up there in age. They currently live independently uh, in their own home. But um, my brother and I know that at some point fairly soon, we may need to start talking to them about um, going into some type of assisted living residential facility. Um, and I just kind of wanted to know more about navigating that process, and uh, especially if they're reluctant to go. Uh, great question. And, you know, every parent and every person is going to be a little bit different, and most uh, elderly people like to maintain their independence as long as possible. Uh, so they could be, they're going to have to, you're going to have to probably not be too strong-willed on making them go or trying to make them go, but just keep encouraging them, maybe pointing out things that uh, they could be doing better in life if they had some help. Um, I have okay. often I have I have an elder law nurse associated with their firm that I will offer to uh, give her give them the contact information like you would come in and we were talking about this in person I would probably suggest an elder law nurse to go out to their home and do an evaluation of their mm -hmm. circumstances and mental health and physical health and come up with a plan for them. The plan could be to stay in their home and get uh, somebody coming by to organize pill boxes and take them to doctor's appointments and generally look in on them, or it could be more involved to where they would recommend that person goes to a home uh, or assisted right. living. So uh, I yeah. would just take some thought and probably some, uh, you know, I don't charge anything when people come in and talk to me about things like this and we kind of develop a plan. I give you the name of the elder law nurse. If you'd be interested in that, to, to go out to the home and develop a plan for them, it's just, just a process you go through. It's a very sad thing when it happens. And, and they would also be able to evaluate like their mental health and, yes. and things like yeah. that. and make a recommendation to the family as to what would be the best for them. I'm sure a lot of gotcha. families go through this. Yeah, know, exactly. Kind of a sensitive subject. Most, uh, most elderly people are in denial for a period of time when it's time to leave their home and go into independent living or assisted living or even a nursing home. Most people are in denial. Yeah, they're definitely in denial. Oh, that's sad. Well, thank you for calling, Peter, though. That's a very rough and emotional question. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so let me answer your question about insurance, uh, what to do with insurance policy. As mm -hmm. you know, insurance has a named beneficiary, so right. if you're happy with the beneficiary is getting their money outright, then it's nothing wrong with just making them a beneficiary and then the policy go mm -hmm. that way. A lot of people, though, aren't, don't really want their beneficiaries to get a large sum of money, even a death benefit of an insurance, all outright. So if it came into a trust, you can control it. You could have a five-year plan of mm -hmm. distribution. You could have a 10-year plan. 
Sometimes you have children that have evil in-laws, I call them, that would, you know, want to get their hands on the money themselves to help them spend it too quickly. Sometimes uh, you have children that are minors, so you don't, can't leave, you, so they should come into a trust and be controlled to I, a later age. I have three grandchildren that are um, 12, 5, and 8 months. Right. So that's why I should have a trust. Exactly. So can, Now, can we place that in a, this may be a financial planner question, but I know you would have to direct it. Let's say they do get X amount of hundreds of thousands at eight months old or five years or 12 years or tens of thousands. Can that be placed into some sort of financial vehicle oh, that sure. it continues to grow? Oh yeah, the trustee determines that of what the vehicle would be. Okay, so you gotta trust your trustee. Uh, some people have children with addictions. Mm -hmm. So you don't give, you, what's the worst thing you do is give them a large no, money, you just enable their addiction. So you give them money over a period of time, and then you put uh, you put uh, random and mandatory testing involved to determine the addiction. You have children on government benefits. You give them a death benefit on life insurance. They're going to lose all of their government benefits. They're going to blow through all their money. Then have to go back on government benefits. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of really creative ways where a trust is just an excellent way to control the money, to take care of. Uh, you can control or be helpful with addictions. You may motivate them not to. Do whatever Absolutely. they're doing on their addiction. You can not give it to minors and control it for their care up until a certain age. Uh, so there are a lot of really good planning opportunities to do the very best you can for your family instead of doing harmful things like giving them an outright distribution sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, there really is no reason, I guess, once you know, even before you're married, but to me, well, for me personally, adult life really started when the first child was born. That's when adult life to me started. Once you have children, they're really, and if you have life insurance, and I'm not selling you insurance here, I promise, but everybody should have life insurance if they have yeah. children. I mean, you know, they just should for moral and ethical reasons that, that we'll talk about one week when we have a life insurance person here on the show. But once you have that children and anything to give them, you really should have that trust. Well, absolutely. It's really going to be a time saver, a money saver, and better for the person themselves, if, particularly if they became incapacitated before death. Mm -hmm. Now, there's not, you know, we've been talking about a living trust, uh, but again, while we're waiting for another call, I've, in my financial world, I've seen the revocable trust, the irrevocable trust, the life trust, the living trust. How many trusts are there, and, and are there just small differences between them, or does the size of your estate or your family, what, what says what you want? Well, every family situation is unique and you can tag a trust with almost any name you want to tag it with. Uh, so the, let's say the main question here is whether what's the difference between a living revocable trust and an irrevocable trust okay. and when you would do one or the other. 99% of my clients do revocable trust. That's a trust where you own it, you control it, you do whatever you want to with your own money, no restrictions. When you die, the trust becomes irrevocable. But prior to that, you and the trust are the same entity, the same tax return, the same tax number. Why would you do an irrevocable trust? Well, it used to be people would try to make themselves poor by doing an irrevocable trust because they don't own the assets, the trust right. owns them. Then they could qualify for Medicaid. But Medicaid got smart and they created a five-year look-back period. So if you did that, you could be disqualified up to five years mm -hmm. and not qualify for benefits. So you right. can't just create a trust and declare yourself poor one day. Right, and then go for Medicaid. And then go for Medicaid. Uh, some people do irrevocable trust for uh, for charitable purpose and tax mm -hmm. write-offs. I had a person, they come in and they wanted to do an educational trust, but they themselves had uh, maybe family law issues 
And then we talked about 529 plans and whether they could create an educational trust themselves. And the concern was that if they created a 529 plan or just had a, a straight educational trust and they had the right to pull the money back, mm -hmm. that it could be considered a marital asset. And they wanted to do something that could not be touched by, uh, if, if they did go through a divorce proceeding, mm -hmm. they didn't want to have the right to pull it back, so probably create an irrevocable educational trust. Oh my, an irrevocable educational right. trust. Right, so they put money in, it can't be taken back, it would be a separate entity with its own tax return. Uh, but you know, if, you, if I ask anybody out there have a perfect family, yeah, well the answer is no, right? That's for sure. Nobody has a perfect family. So there are multiple opportunities you have to do great things uh, for your family, mm -hmm. not harmful things in the estate plan. Mm -hmm. And I've done over like 50,000 estate plans, so it's not too much I haven't heard of or don't have an answer for on how we can help your family instead of giving them an outright distribution sometimes. Does an heir, I'm, I'm going back now to a couple of questions that I, that I heard listening on your radio show a couple of weeks ago. You know, um, you know, there's a will or a trust, but a proper instrument that's mm -hmm. done correctly and, and it favors one heir, mm -hmm. one child towards another. You know, and then of course the one that wasn't favored is suddenly, no, mom and dad and I made up or dad and I made mm -hmm. up. And even though he meant to change the will and why aren't I getting this? Do they really have, I mean, the, the only person that can confirm that is dead. Is, is that person that's always complaining, because I've seen that in my own yeah. family, um, with a, actually a couple of cousins, I mean, in reality. No, dad meant to do this, yeah. but dad didn't, so he's gone. Now what? No, I had a case like that today, actually. <laughs> so uh, the four corners of the document control. So the question is, are the four do do uh, corners of the document control? So if they leave everything to one child in those four corners of the document, is there a way to overcome that? Mm-hmm. So there are two common ways. One is to prove the person was incompetent okay. when they did the document. Two would be to uh, prove undue influence. Undue influence. Yeah. Oh, okay. So if the one that was favored, for example, brought the parent to the attorney's office, and then the other one that was left out would say, well, look, you unduly influenced them to do that. Mm -hmm. And did you take the parents to the attorney's office? Were you sitting there? Did you talk about this on the way there? I mean, they asked 50 questions to make you look bad to right. prove their undue influence case. I know they win a lot of those. Really? Yeah. So uh, my advice is when I, somebody brings a parent in to do documents that favor them, I say, look, you know, here's, here's a big chance this to be contested. You good, good chance you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you want to sleep at night, and you know, I sleep better at night when I give a client. I'd rather you walk away without me taking a fee, and right. then the parent come back on their own mm -hmm. with no interested party present, mm -hmm. and then you have a much safer and better chance so, of yeah. it working. Yeah. So. yeah, life has gotten so complicated in our world today. I would also think that again, in in my parents' day, and it seems like my parents, my aunts and uncles, all married 50, 55, mm -hmm. 58 years. None of us, none of us, younger generation made it that long. But in today's world, you have older people in their second and third marriages. Mm -hmm. So suddenly it's, in many cases, my children, your children, and our children. But in older people, it could just be your children and my children. And you have that value. You have those annuities and money markets and stocks and bonds. I have mine over here. Uh, really and truly, they really have to update their wills slash trusts. Well, trust. you can update your documents, but still not have a premarital agreement, and your spouse has certain rights. 
your, does your marital rights outweigh, supersede your trust? Yes. So two people get married. It's their second marriage later in life or their third marriage. Marriage is a very serious thing. It, it only happens two or three times a lifetime, so you have to take it very seriously. Well, I'm still in my first marriage. You are? Yes. Congratulations. That's very good. Thank you. Very good. How long are you married? Uh, next year will be 50 years, actually. Well, then double congratulations. Right. Right. That Thank really you. is incredible. And that. even better than that, my parents have been married uh, 73 years. Are your parents still with us? They're 94, 93, got God married when they were 20. That's incredible. So, 54 years, you said 50 years it'll be for, for, for me. 50 years, that's... Um, 73 for my parents. That's uh, 58 year, 50 years was, is six and a half times both of my marriages. Mm. That's, how, that's how well you're doing in comparison. Um, but again, so you have your, your two estates. Uh, uh, John, did you say we have a call? I'm sorry, I heard a whisper. Go to break. Go to break. I'm going to break in about 10 seconds, so we will answer this question about I never knew marital status takes priority right. over yep. your legal status. Absolutely. All righty, fantastic. We're going to be taking a quick break. Coming right back with Joe Pippen. Our phone number is 813-982-4049. Hi, my name is Mike Banner, and in addition to being the host of the 62 Who Knew television show, I am also the president of Professional Mortgage Alliance, where our passion is helping seniors entering retirement purchase their dream retirement home without the obligation of a monthly principal and interest payment. Please call me at 727-224-3859 or visit my website at professionalmortgagealliance.com. My name is Ann Rogers, and I'm a real estate agent and broker in Pinellas County and have been for over 24 years. Ann Rogers Relocation Resources provides a full array of services to help you or your loved one transition gracefully to a new residence or adult living community. Our first consultation is free and with no obligation. Please visit our website or call to talk to me directly. My name is Lisa Marie Kennedy, your real estate expert here in the Sarasota, Lakewood Ranch, Bradenton area. I spent years developing myself, studying the industry so I can serve you and communicate with you the best way possible in your real estate transaction. 
My phone number is 941-807-2054, or please visit my website at lisamariekennedy.com. You're back. Hi, how are you? Uh, back with Joe, Mr. Joe Pippen, uh, elder law and estate attorney. Uh, and our phone number, our call-in phone number is 813-982-4049. And uh, we did have a, a quick call while we were off. She didn't stay on uh, from Patty, who wanted to reiterate, uh, wants us to reiterate. You are, in fact, answering questions as a Florida attorney. Yes, I'm only uh, licensed in Florida. All right. Now, these estate and will questions, though, that you're answering, that's not state, that's national. Well, the question about the uh, federal estate tax, mm -hmm. 11 million, that's federal. Okay. Florida has no state estate tax right. and no state income tax. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a Florida license only, so I'm practicing in Florida. We have 20 office locations. I was nationally syndicated for two years, though, and I was in 80 cities in 39 states and uh, could give a general answer out of state. Right but really prefer just to answer Florida questions. Absolutely. I, if you ask me an out-of-state question, I'll give you a Florida answer and tell you it's a Florida answer, but it's probably similar to your state. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and the advice that you're giving will versus trust, living will, I would assume that's in every state, just not state-specific on the estate taxes yeah. and the structure. Yeah, there are some states that have uh, larger probate fees than other states, though. Oh, really? How does, Florida, how does Florida rank? Do you know? I would say Florida's pretty high. Why are we, I three, mean... Three to six percent is a pretty good chunk. Uh, and that's why so many people do trust in Florida. It's amazing as being the, the number one state for retirees in the country, our closing, and now I know it, we, have, we don't have certain things that make this state great, and it is a great state to live, but we also have some of the highest closing costs on mortgages in mm -hmm. the United States of America. We have high probate. You would think as the retirement capital of the world um, that, that you would think differently also. That's just yeah. a surprise to me. All right. So another question that uh, we were just starting to talk about, and, I, and again, I didn't know this. Why would I? I'm not an attorney. That your marital status supersedes the will slash trust or whatever vehicle you're using when you go in for that second marriage later in life, where the kids go, no, no, dad's got a million dollars. That's all mine. But the, wife, the new wife has mm -hmm. rights. We know it used to be that the spousal elective share was only good against the probate estate. Okay. So then, you know, a lot of uh, married couples, or at least one of them, were doing living trusts to avoid probate so mm -hmm. the elective share wouldn't come in. So the legislature eventually said, no, it's about all of the assets. So it's if you could be have them in a, uh, a trust or retirement accounts or death benefits on life insurance and all of those things are countable assets. Your spouse has an automatic spousal share to either live in the home for life mm -hmm. with a life estate or to sell the home and take half the proceeds and get 30% against everything else. Mm -hmm. So you could have all of your accounts uh, paid on death to one of your children. Right. Think they're going to get it. Your spouse could take 30% of it, though. Really? Could pull it back in. So, yeah, spousal right. That's why people should do pre- and post-marital agreements. So... Say somebody's watching us and they say, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Well, if you still can agree on things, you can do a post-marital agreement. Right. Uh, but if you're getting married, think about a premarital. It's easier to do a premarital than wait and get married and then have disagreements. Yeah. I would know. think it's more agreeable pre. Yeah, exactly. Everybody still right. loves each other. Yeah, but a spousal right uh, trumps the trust. Right. No, no play on words there with right. trumping the trust. Right. All right, so I never knew that. Okay. Um, now let's again, the marital rights trumping the trust. Uh, 
it really does get involved because I know when I write mortgages, I, it's almost terrible. It's almost a mark on society. But how many people have two divorces in their past? I am one of those. No fooling around aside. Um, it's not the greatest thing in the world. It just is what it is. And they are entering their third marriage. That, mm -hmm. That's going to be, even if you're not a millionaire, that's going to be somewhat of a complicated living trust because I had children with my first marriage. Uh, she had children with her first marriage. Our second marriage, we both had children, but then we had another one. And now, of course, we're older and there's no children the third time around. Mm -hmm. But they really do need to sit down with an attorney if they're going to direct those assets to the proper children from the proper marriages. Well, either a pre- or post-marital agreement and separate trust if you have separate assets. Separate trust if you have separate assets. So a person can have more than one trust? Yes. Yeah, so, for example, let's say you're in your second or third marriage and you own the home joint but you want to make provisions for how the home would be split up upon the second death. Mm -hmm. So you could have a, a joint trust for the joint home, the joint checking account, and then have a distribution of 50% to each side on that, the joint assets. Right. And then the assets you've kept separate that you want to go to your children, you can leave those just outright to the children. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to leave a spouse, you know, you had three children and you wanted to do 25% to the spouse and 25%, you can do whatever you want to do, basically, really? if you have a premarital agreement. Now, are these sub-trusts of the, of the first trust altogether, or are these literally, for lack of better terms, marriage number one trust, marriage number two trust? Are they totally separate vehicles, or are they connected to each other? No, they can be all one trust. Okay. Because you wouldn't, you'd have the same assets. With right. Her. So you can do whatever you want to with the distribution in, in one trust. Okay. Dealing with children in multiple marriages. Yeah, I see that. That's, uh, you know, it's funny. 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been asking these questions. 30 years ago, we wouldn't. But now it, it's, now what about people that are living with each other? Again, in my, uh, in my mortgage world, in my reverse mortgage world, uh, we are seeing a trend. Well, I think the country is seeing a trend of seniors actually living with each other because of certain benefits mm -hmm. of Social Security from a death of an earlier spouse or possibly a pension uh, that stops at death. You know, the seniors that are actually not getting married, just living with each other. If they well, are living with each other, is there Florida, In Florida, there's no common law marriage. Okay. So there's no right to assets based on living together. Even and after a certain period of time? Nope. No common law marriage in Florida. So you could be living together forever and own separate assets. You can't file a claim against the person's estate. I got it. Now, now, now I'm getting really curious. If you're living with each other, I didn't know there was no common law. I thought actually there was a seven-year. That's mm -hmm. it. Okay. There might be in some states, but not Florida. Not Florida. What if you're living with each other? You, you file joint tax returns. I've seen this. And you both file homestead. I've been told that that house regardless of I owned it before I married you. We filed together, we homesteaded, you now own that house with me. Even not though your like, name's not on the title. No, not, that's not true. Every mortgage lender that has told me that, I hope you're listening, lawyer saying, you're wrong. Um, that's amazing to hear that's not true because every Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and I hope I'm not misquoting, but at least lenders that I've been using for 20 years have said, no, 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 if they, join, if they filed together, and they homesteaded the house. Well, they can't homestead the house unless you're, you're an owner, though. Right. Well, he's one of them's the owner, but they're doing joint tax returns. And well, they're not married. Joint tax returns are a federal IRS issue, not an ownership issue. Yeah. So on I'm the home. All right. I'm going to have to look into my lenders to, because that, I actually run across that on a monthly basis. Again, people living with each other. So what do you think? 
for example, Social Security. I know Social Security is one of your areas of expertise. We have a Social Security person coming on um, about the topic of should people take Social Security, you know, at as early as they can, or should they defer to a later age? We're going to again have a, an entire show on that. But what is your opinion as an estate attorney? My opinion is it de totally depends on your other income that you are receiving through any other source and how much money you need to live monthly. Uh, a lot of people who are still working, because a lot of people are still working and mm -hmm. have sufficient income without taking Social Security, I, my advice would probably be to defer it as long as you can. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to defer right. as long as I can. I might have a caller. No, I think we got just two minutes left. And in oh. that two minutes, I don't know if we can do this by showing it like this. I know that might be unusual. I've never done this before. But if you would, uh, go ahead and explain what this is, because okay. I read it when we met, okay. and I thought it was incredible. Yeah, well, it's a large poster sheet on estate planning. There are five articles on this side dealing with your options, the three options in estate planning. The uh, other information about estate planning, the cause of probate uh, chart on what probate costs. And if you're interested in improving what you have or reviewing what you have or maybe creating a new estate plan, this would be a great sheet for you. You can get it one of three ways. You can call our toll-free office number, 1-800-226-3529. That's 1-800-226-3529. Go to extension 200. You can... Text me, 727-667-3967, You can email me at joe, J-O-E, at A-T-T-Y-P-I-P.com. Mike, I really want to thank very you for serious. having me on the show, too. Thank you very much. With just a, about a half a minute left, I want to thank Mr. Pippin very much. Next week, we're going to be having a long-term care expert on for your calls. do want to bring up to you with just a few seconds left. Usually when we do this live, we get a couple of hundred listeners, or I should say viewers, which we're very proud of. But the last several weeks, we get thousands in repeats on demand. So if you have any questions for Mr. Pippin, my email is right up there now, mbanner at 62whonew.com. If you have any questions for Mr. Pippin or you would like this incredible document that answers a tremendous out of questions, please give us a call. Thank you and see you next week.